Our gospel this morning is from the ninth chapter of St. Mark. The disciple John said to Jesus, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a deed of power in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. Whoever is not against us is for us, for truly I tell you, Whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you bear the name of Christ will by no means lose the reward. This is the gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Before I get started this morning, I'd like to acknowledge um, uh, Paul and Lois Carter, both of whom died this past week. Um, Paul was 97 and Lois was 94. They've been married for a good long time, members of this congregation for a good long time. Many of you remember, of course, Lois um, grew up here. Her father was a pastor at St. John's, P.D. Brown was his name, um, and uh, she just, they both loved this congregation and you from the bottom of their hearts. And uh, so we, we are so very, very thankful that they um, are in the blessed arms of Jesus right now. So it's not necessarily anything to be sad about, but we do grieve, and we certainly grieve with their children. Uh, Carol and Chris McNeely are still members here at the church. Lovely. Um, Carol, for the last, well, throughout COVID and certainly some time before that, would um, go and worship with them every Sunday morning at their cottage at Trinity Oaks so that they could together watch the, uh, the service online and and uh, Lois, in particular, was just so, so very thankful to be able to join you in worship. And she felt always that she was joining you in worship. So, um, anyway, their, their service, it will be a joint service, funeral service, will be held at a later date whenever we get back into the sanctuary. So, uh, um, we'll let you know when that is. Today, I'd like to talk with you about arguing, or I'd like to argue with you about talking, one of the two. I can't remember which. It's interesting because in our, in our readings today, you may have noticed that there's a little bit of arguing going on. And I mean, even in the, in the story that we read from the Old Testament, uh, when the, the people of Israel are just sort of complaining because they're in the wilderness and they're getting tired of all that manna. They, all they got to eat is manna and the manna is just sort of I don't know, they're just getting sick and tired of it, and so they start to complain. Oh, life was so good back in Egypt, forgetting, of course, that they were slaves in Egypt, but nevertheless, it always seems to look and feel so much better back in the past, doesn't it? And then even in the gospel reading today, we have a little bit of argument that goes on among the disciples. In fact, that's what I want to jump into today, just to talk a little bit about arguing. We've been uh, studying the book of Mark this year, and we found ourselves smack dab in the middle of this fantastic gospel. It's a wonderful section between three chapters, chapters 8, 9, and 10. It's in this section when Jesus is, begins to really clarify who He is, His purpose, His priorities, His character. Uh, in fact, it's within these three chapters that on three separate occasions, Jesus predicts that He's going to suffer, He's going to die at the hands of the authorities die a brutal death on a cross, but three days later, rise again. Three times he tells them that, and not surprisingly, he totally confuses the disciples because, well, that's sort of a radical thing for them to hear. They never imagined that a Messiah, a king, would suffer, 
would die? What is all that about? But what's also interesting is that in these three chapters, uh, when Jesus announces three times or predicts three times that he's going to suffer, die, and be raised again, likewise, the disciples and other religious leaders respond by arguing how many times? Three separate times, arguing about who's the greatest and who should sit at the right hand of Jesus and who, who's in and who's out of the kingdom, who's right and who's wrong, arguments that just totally frustrate Jesus because they just don't get it, right? It reminds me of the time a Catholic priest, a Lutheran pastor, and a Baptist minister were, uh, were standing by the river. Just put up with this. It's, it's just, just do it. <laughs> standing by the river, and they're just arguing with each other about which, which church is closest to the teachings of Jesus. And the Catholic priest said, that, well, no argument here. I mean, it's pretty simple, cut and dry, right? I mean, the Catholic Church is closest there. We're descended directly from the disciples. And one of the disciples, Peter, was the first pope. So, you know, hands down. And to prove it, he said, I'm going to walk across the water just like Jesus did. And he proceeded, sure enough, to walk to the other side of the river on top of the water. It was amazing. Well, the Lutheran pastor said that Lutherans, as it turns out, are a little bit close, pretty close in origin to the Catholics. And but they're even closer to the teachings of Jesus, as it turns out, because they rely on God's Word. Sola Scriptura, he said confidently and proudly. We're justified by faith. We paint our doors red. We, here I stand, just echoing all the different phrases he had been taught through his life. He shouted as he then confidently walked across the water to the other side, again on top of the water. It was amazing. The Baptist preacher said that he did not care one bit about the first pope or Lutherans who paint their doors red. It's all fooey, he said. He's the one who studies the Word of God. He's, he's the one who preaches it without embellishment. He's the one who studies the Word of God. And, 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 since, and, and, and since they could walk on water, then surely he would be even better at it. So he took one step forward, and dadgummit, if he didn't sink right down in the middle of that, of that river. He was stunned. He was embarrassed. And the priest whispered to the Lutheran pastor, you think we should tell him where the rocks are? <laughs> Arguing. Where is it going to get you, right? Arguing about Jesus. And sadly, it seems there's a whole lot of that going on these days. Is it there? I mean, it seems like it. I mean, by the way, just, uh, just sort of an interesting fact, and I uh, misled the men in the men's Bible study on Thursday, on Thursday, I was way off this number. I did another uh, sort of Google check, and since, you know, Google's right about everything, I'm going to share it with you. Do you know how many denominations there are in the world today? Now, I'm not talking about churches, denominations, which is a group of churches, of like-minded churches. How many, anybody want to guess? A few thousand? What else? 500? 3,000, someone? 30,000. He was at our men's Bible study. That's what I told him, 30,000. Did you know I was wrong? 45,000 congregate or denominations in the world today. Isn't that crazy? It's insane, it seems to me. Well, in any case, a former church elder put up with me just one more time. Former church elder was marooned on an island. <laughs> Unchartered island. Nobody knew where he was. And he lived there for several years before a ship 
saw his fire one night, and so they, they shifted uh, and changed course to, to, to investigate. And when some of the crew made their way by boat, small boat, to the island, they found the man and three huts that he had built right behind him. He ran up to them, obviously, so excited, and he said, oh my goodness gracious, I've been on this island all alone for five years. I'm so glad to see you. They looked behind them, behind him, though, and they saw three huts. And they said, what are these three huts? He said, oh, oh well, well, one is where I live, and, and the other is where I go to church. Uh, but there are three. Uh, there are three huts. He said, oh, yeah, yeah, that's where I used to go to church. <laughs> Forty-five thousand denominations? Are you serious? I mean, really? Enough. Every one of them started over an argument. So turn with me again to today's reading from Scripture, Mark chapter 9. It begins with the disciple John running up to Jesus and saying, Teacher, we saw just saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop because he's not one of us. At one level, it sounds a little whiny, doesn't it? I mean, it sounds a little bit like a four-year-old tattletale to, to a certain extent. He's not one of us, as if he was supposed to know some secret handshake that he didn't know about. But in truth, it was just a continuation of an argument that the disciples had already been having about who is a true follower of Jesus and who is not. It almost feels like the disciples are sort of setting the stage. They're getting ready to put up a sign that says, by the way, just so you know, we're the ones with all the answers. No one else allowed. Which makes you feel good if you're in the club. But I don't know, if, if you're not, and that's the problem, right? I mean, it really, because we know that Jesus came not to the righteous, but the unrighteous. Those are the words of Jesus. We know, don't we, that when He, he came not to the haves, but to the have-nots, He came to the least, the last, and the lost. We know, don't we, that Jesus is the one who makes room for the prodigal son and for the woman who, who is called in adultery. He's the one who buddies up to the thief who's hanging next to him on the cross. He's the one who spent, who, who spent time next, sitting next to the tax collector at dinner. The guy who, you remember, had spent all of his life stealing money from others. And every time the disciples are mumbling under their breath, but they're not one of us, Jesus. What are you doing? They're not one of us, which is precisely what John says about this man who's casting out demons in Jesus' name. He's not following us, Jesus, which is interesting, isn't it? Because John, the disciple, doesn't say that the man isn't following Jesus. He says he isn't following us. Interesting, isn't it? Listen to Jesus' response. No one does a miracle in my name. No one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me, for whoever is not against us is for us. Truly, I tell you, anybody who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. Anyone who gives a cup of water in my name will, will certainly not lose their reward. In other words, true followers of Jesus, the way that we are distinguished as followers of Jesus 
is, is by looking at the person who does as Jesus does. Pretty simple as that. The ones who are constantly about the business of, well, giving water, <laughs> giving water to the thirsty, bread to the hungry, providing care and nourishment to the least, the last, and to the lost. That's who Jesus loved, after all, over and over and over again. He abhorred those who made others feel small. Why? You know why? Because he cared deeply for the underdog. He cared deeply for the mistreated and for the downtrodden. And so to follow Jesus means to be the hands and the feet of Jesus, especially in the way that we care for the, the poor, how we love the, the loveless, how we help the helpless. And I have to say that as a boy who encountered Jesus, as a, as a young boy, you know, whether that was in Sunday school or in reading arch books as a kid falling to sleep at, at night. As a young boy, uh, reading the Gospels for the first time, that's what I fell in love with. That's when I fell in love with Jesus, that he took up for the nobodies, that he never gave up on the least of these. That's what I loved then, and that's what I love now. Friends, we, the church, more broadly, but we specifically, St. John's, we are at our very best when we do the same. I mean, let's be honest. We might not like this, but it's true. When the world looks at the church today, far too many, all they see is us arguing with, with one another in a, in a constant battle between who's in and who's out, who's right and who's wrong. <laughs> what I wish the world would see is the extended hand of someone who's offering a cup of water to their neighbor over and over and over again. Love that begets love, giving that begets giving. A man came to Mother Teresa in Calcutta and said, Mother, there's a family, a Hindu family with eight children. They're hungry. They haven't eaten in a long, long time. We must help them. So together they found a large bag of rice, and, and they took it to this family, walked through the door of their home. They could see the look of hunger in their eyes. When Mother Teresa gave the bag of rice to the mom, the mom quickly divided it into two, and she gave half to the children, and then she ran out the door with the other half. <laughs> they were stunned. When she returned, Mother Teresa asked, where did you go? And she replied, well, my neighbor is hungry too. For when I was hungry, you fed me, Jesus said. That's what it looks like. When I was naked, you clothed me, Jesus said. That's what it looks like to follow me. When, when I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink, Jesus said. That's what it looks like, Jesus says. And yes, when I just needed a cup of water, when that's all I needed, and you were there for me, extending the hand of Jesus for me, being the face of Christ for the sake of the world, selflessly, lovingly, graciously. When that becomes our focus, as Christian community, when that becomes our drive, when love becomes our identity, when service to neighbor becomes our DNA, there will be nothing to argue about. Nothing at all. 
And what a witness that will be for the world. Let's pray. Lord God, we give you so much thanks and praise today. For you're a great God who loved us from the very beginning of time. When your breath moved over the waters and created life out of nothingness, out of chaos, in fact. Life that you promised would be abundant life. Life that would be centered in relationship with you and with one another. Life that would be given the opportunity to care deeply for this world. Lord, we, we confess to you that far too often we draw boundaries around your kingdom. Far too often, Lord, we, I don't know, we make room for those who, who would prefer, that we would prefer to belong. <laughs> Lord, we forget that your kingdom is much more expansive than that. We forget that it's your arms hanging on a cross that were opened wide for all. Lord, may we be your hands and feet for the sake of the world, for the sake of this community, for the sake of this neighborhood. When people look into our lives, may they see lives that are filled with service and great love. Lord, we thank you for that opportunity to be your very presence in this world. In Jesus' name we pray.